off the cuff, my best experiences is discovering my own power in my own body, discovering a level of beauty that I have that I didn't give myself credit for. Hey, it's me, Chance of Punk Journalism, and you're about to hear my conversation with Squeaky Springs, founder of Denver Burlesque Troupe, Punk Rock Burlesque. She's a super awesome and open-minded lady. We spoke mostly about body positivity as well as her experience in the sex industry doing burlesque and exotic dancing. Stay tuned also for my conversation with national best-selling author Aaron James on his book, Assholes, A Theory. James is a professor of philosophy at UC Irvine, and he is not an asshole. Visit punk-journalism.com to see everything I've done so far, including podcasts and blogs. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to stay current with what I've got coming up. Finally, subscribe to Punk Journalism on iTunes. I don't ask for anything other than that. So if you like what I'm doing and you appreciate my work, that would be a great way of repaying me. You can also listen to me on SoundCloud and YouTube. Well, first of all, how did you get the name Squeaky Springs? <laughs> well, my voice, which right now right. is recovering from a throat surgery that I had a few weeks ago. So my big joke is I'm scratchy springs right now but um i i actually had a birth defect when i was born i had a partial cleft palate and i had surgeries for that and it's left me with a very nasally voice so i grew up with the name squeaky my whole life and then when i started burlesque this is now i want to tell the long story (laughs) well it's a very distinct voice and and that's how i mean i remember i saw you guys back this last spring and I mean, it, it's definitely a signature of yours, I think, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and I really did enjoy that show. That was uh, a speakeasy-type show downtown. When my buddy and I went to it, we were like, where the hell are we? Because it was like in an office building. Yeah, sort of how did you find us? Um, it came up as like a sponsored ad on Facebook or something. Oh, perfect. My money was well spent. Yes. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell me about punk rock burlesque, specifically how is it unique amongst other burlesque troops? And I know when I saw you guys, you talked a lot about the punk rock ethos and how that applies to what you guys do. So go into that a little bit. Yeah, that's really important to me. Um, I came into the punk rock scene when I was 14 years old, and it really shaped my life in really big ways. Um, I have been involved in the anarcho-punk scene ever since then. I guess I could give away my age, but (laughs) Um, a long time, probably longer than some of you are old. But... um, (laughs) So it's kind of, it touches everything that I do in my life. Um, And so when I started Burlesque, I really came into it with this desire to find body positivity and camaraderie and um, I wanted it to build me up and I found that it wasn't in the ways that I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. What wasn't? Burlesque burlesque wasn't? It was just too exclusive? it has tendencies to be very clicky, and I okay, know that punk sure. rock burlesque even has been accused of the same thing despite all of my trying to make it not that way. So I think that there's just, I don't know, that just happens when groups of people hang out together is too much, I, I suppose. So, yeah. But I started, like, I wanted to start this, my own group. Initially, my, my intention was to have a group of just punk rock women Mm -hmm. kind of representing that side of sexuality also. Um, Especially because I think punk rock is associated with this hardness and this roughness. Mm -hmm. Um, Rittiness, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to show that, like, that's part of it, but also, like, there's also this other side that can Mm -hmm. be, you know, really empathetic and um, intelligent and and sexy and mm-hmm. so like that was really important to me and it's really evolved into kind of it's not mostly punk rock people anymore in fact I would say it's mostly not punk rock people who have been attracted to it because ultimately Which they like counterculture so what misfits. I'm trying to say now is yeah misfits I okay. think it's I always say that we're the home for people who don't have a home and I feel like that's kind of what punk rock is ultimately mm-hmm. also like I feel like the kids that come to punk rock when they're teenagers a lot of times are people who kind of feel like they don't fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's Absolutely. this kind of angsty thing about not fitting in that punk rock speaks to. And I feel like punk rock burlesque really speaks to that, to the population that dances with us. So even if they don't identify with the punk rock subculture or music, they identify with that kind of 
misfit, angsty, I don't fit in anywhere yeah, else. Yeah, non-status quo, not right. mainstream, sure. Yeah. yeah. So you guys are like the island of lost toys for burlesque. How, how Christmas appropriate, yes. but sure. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even intentional. So. Um, so you guys, you guys have some shows coming up, but one of them is at a satanic temple? Is that well, right? Well, it's actually at the Marquee Theater. Okay. But it's the Colorado chapter of the satanic temple. This is our second year working in conjunction okay. with them. So they throw a big Saturnalia festival every December. And last year was the first, this is, I think, the third year they're doing it, the second year we've been involved. So they invited us to do a little part of the show and do some burlesque performances there. And apparently their fans loved it so much that they brought us back for an even bigger portion of the show. And I, with my weak voice, am going to host the entire show. So there's bands, <laughs> and there's a ritual on baptism, and we'll get naked, and so it'll did, all be great. So to be fair, did you guys solicit all different types of church denominations, and the Satanic Church was the only one that bit? We didn't even list anywhere. <laughs> they just came to us and asked us to do it, and we did so it. So <laughs> how often do you guys perform? Um, so right now we're doing one th- once-a-month pop-up shows. Okay. So we're um, doing different venues every month. Once a month. <laughs> okay, what is? What do you mean, pop up? Just kind of. Um, that we're not in one home location. Okay. That we're so gotcha. like we're at the Marquee Theater this Saturday the seventh with Rift Satanic Temple. We'll be at Lions Lair for New Year's Eve, and we're at Larimer Lounge in. Um, no, we're not. We're back at the Marquee Theater. I lied. On Valentine's Day, um, doing a live show with a live swing and jazz band who will be and they rewrite punk songs as swing jazz songs for us I have them do Crass's um, Bottom Motel for me and it's really amazing cool yeah yeah that's cool I'm gonna have to check that out so yeah we have a lot of venues that we so you've talked about how body positivity is a big thing for you guys and or for you especially and and being very inclusive in that way is it common that burlesque troops are are discriminatory in that way like they they're going to you know pick people that have more you know how we we think of like socially acceptable body types is that kind of what they more opt for and, and leave other people out typically not um honestly and i think that that's part of what separates burlesque from like strip club dancing mm-hmm. or like um strippers that are more exotic dancer mm-hmm. type strippers yeah because they usually seem more voluptuous and yeah, yeah and i think that but there, there is that stigma still within the burlesque community. I mean, and I say that in a greater sense too. I'm not just even talking about Denver, but I, you know, I'm friends with burlesque performers like on social media all around the country and really the world. And you hear all the time about there being shows that won't have certain body types, that women of color are not represented, trans folks aren't represented. Um, but there's a very big underrepresentation from a lot of marginalized groups in burlesque mm-hmm. as a whole. And um, I don't personally, yeah, like, actually my shows are just, if you want to do it, you get to do it. I don't. Mm -hmm. Well, and I noticed that when I was at the performance this last spring that, that it, it was it wasn't just women. It was, you know, trans people. And I don't I assume they were trans. I don't know. Uh, and, and that was something I felt was very unique to, to that experience that, you know, you're obviously not going to see very often at all. Yeah, we really want to represent um, all different kinds of genders and sexualities also. We have um, cisgendered men and women that perform with us. We have trans men. Right now we we don't have any trans folks with us. We have a couple gender queer folks with us. Um, but we're open to anybody who wants to perform at any time. Okay. So... How would you personally, has that been a battle for you at all as far as body issues? Or I think I, meant, I remember you saying when I saw you guys several months ago that it was a struggle after you had kids. Or. Yeah, um, you know, I grew up having a very stereotypically nice body. I don't know how to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it was very challenging for me. I had my first kid. I got pregnant when I was 20 and had him at 21. Um, which is really young and you're still kind of in the prime mm-hmm. of your sexuality and everything and all of a sudden I was covered in stretch marks and um, you know I, I have a bunch of excess skin that I will never lose without surgery because you know of getting pregnant and having those you know just giving birth and all of that kind sure. of stuff so I think that it was definitely challenging for me to um, to move into a new body and I recognize that, like, 
even now by beauty standards that are set out, I'm not an overweight person. I don't have to deal with those kinds of stigmas or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that regardless of what your body looks like, we all struggle internally with what our bodies look like. Um, I think even when I had a stereotypically, you know, model body or whatever, I still always I thought it was flawed, right? Mm-hmm. I think that we always, sure. especially as women, and I'm sure even you know men struggle with it also, but I would argue that to a much greater degree, women struggle with it. And I will you know, argue from my friends that I know that are trans, that trans folks struggle with it even harder, you mm-hmm. know? So I think that burlesque can be a really beautiful opportunity for people to learn to love the skin that they're in and learn to love their bodies. and really changed me a lot. I feel like much more comfortable with my body now than I did before I started. Would you say you're a pretty confident person? Me? Yeah. yeah. You I've seem like it. Yeah. I uh, got into a conversation last night with why I don't ever get flirted with because I'm too intimidating. So <laughs> it's like, well, shit. <laughs> Maybe that's my problem. I'm just too intimidating. There Nobody's you go. flirting with me. That's the problem. So, uh, you know, and that's funny that you say that about it seems like no matter what body type we have, we're always going to be it's like almost kind of like the grass is greener on the other side, but we just nitpick the things that are wrong with us. I dated a girl uh, a couple of years, you know, about a year ago that she, uh, before she was a tattoo artist full time, she made her living as a model in New York City. And she has a very, what you would think of as a model body. You know, she's very thin, uh, long limbs and that sort of thing. And she, she would trade her body any day for a, you know, a voluptuous, curvaceous body. And, and I think that women look at her a lot of times and are like, oh my gosh, like what would I give to have? But it, she would probably swap with them, you know, yeah. from, from what I've talked about with her. It's always, I feel like it's that way, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear it from men too, you know, they're always like, oh, I want to bulk up or I want to be thinner or I want to, you know, whatever. But I think that there's a lot more societal pressure mm-hmm. on women to look a very yeah. certain way. Well, and my, my ex-wife, who I'm still good friends with, she, uh, she's got a pretty small frame, and she, but she has double D's. And, you know, again, I think a lot of women would, you know, kill for that figure. And, you know, oh, what would I not give to have that sort of, you know, perfect combination? And, again, like being, you know, around her for 11 years, like she wished that she could have a breast augmentation, not only because it hurt her back, but it's like no matter how she dressed or presented herself, guys could only just stare at her chest. Right. And, and I mean, even with the breast augmentations, we have a couple women in our troop who have had breast augmentations and that that's been a struggle for them to perform because they're embarrassed of their scars and they're mm-hmm. embarrassed of them. So once again, it's like, no matter what, you know, they obviously got the breast augmentations because they didn't like their bodies before. And now they're, mm-hmm. you know, still, but it's amazing and it's so cool as the producer of this troop and the mentor of so many of these women who come through, not everybody, I don't train everybody, but I train a lot of the people there to watch that evolution, to watch them go from training with me at first and being like, well, I just don't know if I want to show this part or I kind of want to cover this, to after a few times performing, they're like, forget it, I'm ready. And even myself, you know, the first year I performed, I only would perform with high-waisted underwear or a corset or something to cover Mm -hmm. my stretch marks Mm -hmm. and my excess skin on my midsection. And it took me a long time to just really embrace that and to try and, you know, part of it was a desire to be a role model to other women to say, you know, like, if I can be up on stage and be sexy with this body, like, you can too. I would never want someone to look at themselves and say negative things about themselves, so why would I do that to myself? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I have to constantly tell myself, you know, don't talk to your friend that way, Mm -hmm. and I'm my own best friend, so. I I think of it a lot, like... You know, because I hear people say, like, oh, I'm too afraid to go, go to the gym because I'm so afraid of, you know, what people are going to judge me and, 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 and give me a hard time. And, you know, I'm just going to be so self-conscious. And I think to myself, well, if you were with somebody who said to you, like, hey, look at that person over there. Look, look at that, that person. Do they think they are trying to get in shape? It's like, what would you think of that person? So why do you care what that person thinks about you? you I mean, unfortunately, there are really terribly judgy people out there. Mm-hmm. I mean... On Facebook, yes, a couple days ago, another burlesque dancer who I'm friends with on Facebook posted a picture, and some woman who I don't know, but was friends with this person, said, you shouldn't try and post pictures where you look cute or pretty because you're just not. Like, we really attack each other in that way. And if people say that to your face, even if it's over social media, we know that even worse things are happening behind our backs. And especially as women, it's something we've dealt with 
since grade school. Oh my gosh, so-and-so said this about you. So I think that the fear is really real. I mean, I go to the gym every single day, but I go to the rec center with all the retired people because I am afraid. Because if I, you know, I have a gym membership at a gym, but when I go there, I do feel stared at and judged. And, mm-hmm. and maybe it's not, I'm not being stared at because I'm being judged, you know, who knows? But, but I mean, I think that it's about finding those those balances. So, like, for me, it's going to the rec center with the retired folks because mm-hmm. I'm not going to let it stop me. I like that environment a lot more, too. Yeah, it I go feels a lot more comfortable yeah. and laid back. And I think so. But, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. So even even me, who says I have all this confidence, right, like, we make caveats. Like, I, mm-hmm. I sent you an email before I showed up here being like, okay, don't have my hair done and all my makeup on and I kind of look like a hag. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, rather than just showing up and being who I am, I feel like I need to make an excuse for sure. it. Sure, like, yeah. It's a challenge. It's something we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives. You know, mm-hmm. and especially now, I'm just going to say, I'm 38, I'm pushing 40. Like, aging, all of these things, like, we're always going to have to be reminding ourselves of our worth and reminding ourselves of our beauty because the rest of the world is. Absolutely. Yeah, we can't depend trying on other to tell us to do that. that we're not. Yeah, you sure. know? So. Um, so it's kind of. I was thinking about this on the way over here. I remember several years ago, I was, I was at a strip mall with my ex wife and. Um, I was just, you know, kind of looking around, just daydreaming, and I noticed that I walked in front of one department store, and the posters of the models out front, for some reason, I was just, like, fixated on them, and I was like, these are, like, the sexiest models I've seen, like, for a department store before, and I can't figure out why, and so I stepped back, and I looked where I was, and it was Lane Bryant, and I just thought it was kind of ironic, because the women in the posters they weren't overweight or obese or anything like that they i felt like that was the size of woman that's probably going to shop at a quote-unquote normal size store and the women that are models for those stores are very you know almost unrealistically thin so um yeah i don't know i just i think it's it's kind of interesting the way that that those things present themselves you know and um you know, how in the 1950s that was more of the standard body type. Yeah, and you know, and it's always changing too. Like, uh, you know, I've been watching Hulu recently because I've been recovering from the surgery, so I've been watching a lot of TV and mm-hmm. watching commercials. And and I do feel really positive that at least a lot of the culture is starting to change. You're seeing a lot more diversity, not just in body types, but racially with sexual, you know, sexualities. Like, it's just normal to see a gay couple with kids on an ad now, you know. It's mm-hmm. normal to see mixed-race couples on an ad now. It's normal, you know. And that's beautiful. I mean, it's still not as common as it should be. There's still a lot of room to grow. But, like, I remember 10 years ago, you would never see things like sure, that, you yeah. know. And so... And if you did, it would be a really bold statement. Right. And plus-size, you know, models are becoming more and more commonly seen but they're still considered plus size models and not just models mm-hmm. right they're still so I think that you know obviously there's always room to grow and we're we're making we're gaining ground mm-hmm. so that's you know yay and let's keep fighting <laughs> yeah still got got a ways to go right. so something along with that and and you know I preface what what I'm going to ask you with you know I think that a lot of times we challenge ourselves each other not to be offensive or not to be confrontational, but because I think that that's the best way to learn and grow. And we walk away from those situations bigger bigger people and, and having learned something from that experience and, and kind of the intersection of our perspectives do that. And so, like, I, I look at a lot of the women that, you know, since the 1960s at least and beyond who have been portrayed in pop culture as, you know, almost at an un- unhealthy level of thin. Uh, and, and that has obviously caused a lot of problems with girls feeling like they needed to live up to that unrealistic expectation and, you know, it's caused eating disorders and, and that sort of thing. And that is, that is a very negative thing. And, like, we're working past that, as you mentioned. But on the other end of that spectrum, and I'm curious how you feel about this, I think that there have been some occasions um, more recently where I think that there are more, like, not just 
plus size or not just bigger bone models, but obese models that have been presented in the media. And I think that sometimes that can be even more as detrimental because it kind of normalizes that body type where I don't think that anybody should feel uncomfortable with who they are or self-hating or self-loathing. And you sh certainly shouldn't shame anybody about who they are. But at the same time, does, is, it, is it safe to normalize that sort of body type, which is, isn't natural, it's not healthy, and it is, it is a disease? How do you feel about that? Well, I think that those are some bold statements, and I'm going to lovingly challenge some of your thoughts because that's what we're talking about doing. So I think that to say that um, it's, it's not normal or natural is, is a jump. I think that we live in an unhealthy society in general, and a lot of our eating habits are not awesome, and a lot of our laziness is not awesome. Um, however, I am a normal-sized person with an average BMI, and I'm still pre-diabetic with high cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So I think that too, and I have some friends who are technically obese with high BMIs, mm -hmm. who have perfectly fine cholesterol and blood sugar, and their blood work looks better than mine. Is that technically obese? Yeah, like okay. BMI-wise, right, right? right? Like they sure. would be obese, not just overweight, but obese, mm -hmm. and yet their blood work looks better than mine. And they can do the splits, and they can outdance me any day. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we have to be really careful judging anyone's health based on their appearance, including underweight folks. To assume that somebody is really thin because they have an eating disorder, which I'm not saying that you did, but I know that that happens. Mm -hmm. Sure. That we assume that, oh, that person's not eating, they must be bulimic, they must be anorexic because they're really thin, or they're really heavy, they must be really lazy, they must, you know, overeat, they must have a terrible problem. And we also know that there are diseases that are more prevalent nowadays because of the pollution and all of the carcinogens and all of the shit that we have in our food, in our water, in our air, even if we eat organically and super clean, we're breathing in toxins constantly. The water we drink has shit in it. Mm -hmm. We have more hormone disorders. We have more, you know, liver disorders, kidney disorders. So my day job, I'm actually a healthcare worker. So, okay. so there's a lot of... Um, what do you do, just out of curiosity? I'm a student, midwife. Okay, cool. So, um, so there's a lot of... Um, shit in our environment that wasn't there 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that's also causing our bodies to change not just what we eat. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And yeah. so, yes, that can happen. We know that statistically more often, heavier people have, that is associated with more adverse outcomes, but it's not always the case. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, certainly it's... And we know that socioeconomic standards also mm -hmm. play into that a lot. When people have to work three jobs and they don't have an opportunity to work out because they're working three jobs and what they can get in between those jobs is McDonald's and what they can afford is a bag of chips at the gas station, mm -hmm. that's a huge problem also. Mm -hmm. And so capitalism and the way that we are, our society is going right now with the wage gap between the rich and the poor being bigger and bigger is also causing a lot of these mm -hmm. issues. Yeah. So there's a bigger thing to fight, I think, than idealizing a certain body type. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I would love to see more little girls grow up thinking that everyone is beautiful and knowing healthy habits at the same time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and I'm not going to fight you on any of that at yeah. all. Um, I guess my concern is that when it becomes more, I guess, normalized in mainstream culture and society, then it takes... It, it takes away maybe motivation for people who might otherwise see it as problematic to their health. And um, when I said that it's not something natural, I'm thinking about that it doesn't happen in indigenous cultures, it doesn't happen in, in the animal kingdom except for our pets because we're responsible for them. I would challenge uh, you to look like the Samoan cultures and things like that. That's true. Traditionally, yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. So once again, like, I just think that it's important when we make generalized statements mm -hmm. that most things aren't generalized, right. right? Like there's exceptions to almost everything. And so I just, um, and I don't say it to try and make you feel dumb or anything, but I think that it's important, like you were saying, we need to challenge each other because that's where we learn mm -hmm. and grow. And so that would be my challenge, right? Yeah, sure. But there's exceptions everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, you're right when you say that it, it's it's a big cultural thing too, especially in the U.S. Because like if you ever been to Europe, it's you'll be kind of hard pressed to find many obese people, and it's because they have different values. They they get you know they travel in different ways instead of taking you know they they bike and walk many places, and they just value certain things, and, and they don't have the same type of capitalism that we do. So we they value different things. How do you deal with that? Then? I mean, is it 
the conveniences that we have, I agree with you, are there and they, they make it more difficult for people to be in shape. It's become easier to get out of shape and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a luxury almost to stay in shape and be healthy. Oh, it absolutely is these days. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mean, like, think, I mean, even, you know, in the 18th century, it's, it was almost the, the reverse. Glutton, or, you know, somebody who had... Wealthy, because he had they the had means. someone else to do all their work for right, them. Right, yeah. And most people had to do their work themselves, mm-hmm. and, and all work was manual. And now, mm-hmm. more and more these days, work is not with our bodies, but with our hands and with our minds. We're mm-hmm. sitting behind desks, we're staring at screens, we're sitting in a car. Um, it's very rare and then the jobs where people are using their bodies are the poorest paid jobs so people are working to get out of those jobs because they don't want to be there because they're not getting paid as much Mm -hmm. so I think that the bigger thing is not to shift is to shift the thought from what size your body is but what are you doing with your body Mm -hmm. you know regardless of what size you are are you making healthy eating choices are you moving your body and you know a minimum of 30 minutes a day. Sorry, now I'm going to get all medical. But, you know, and are you seeing your physician regularly for checkups? Which, once again, I say that, all of these things, recognizing the privilege that I have to have those things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sure. I'm on Medicaid. Like, I'm yeah. not going to lie. Like, if I didn't have Medicaid, I wouldn't be able to go see my doctor every mm-hmm. year. Um, when it's education, too. Right. Well, and, and unfortunately, that's a problem in our, in our culture. Right. And so I think that regardless of if what your body size type is, you need to be going in and getting blood work, making sure that your nutrition is fine and all of that kind of stuff. And and if it is, then live the life you want to live and be happy and, and do what works for you. You know, I'm not here to judge at all. And I think that, you know, if we're looking at a larger thing, and, and it's also hard for me, I don't want to speak for plus-size folks because I'm not a plus-size person. And so there's a lot of discrimination and issues there that... That I can't speak to. I, the, the, the plus side that I do see to it is, is you know, there is by doing this, we're not looking at them as oh my god, like that person needs to, you know, with this a negative stigma that that has been associated for so long. You know, yeah, I mean, being more sympathetic or empathetic. I think it's changing, and I know it's not changed, right? Like right. I have many, many plus size friends who deal with a lot of discrimination around that, and it's still there. I think that addressing things like food deserts in primarily neighborhoods of color and poor socioeconomic and mm-hmm. neighborhoods where people do not have access to fresh foods. I think that, um, you know, our schools are underfunded and cutting physical education and cutting health classes and cutting that kind of education right. that could come in at the ground floor. They're, school nurses don't exist anymore. Right. You know, I mean, it's usually a teacher or someone who's coming in like once a week at the school to help with anything. So I think that if we can get these fundamental changes to change their life, people's lifestyle, even if they're not learning it from their parents, mm-hmm. where we can, sure. which is in the school systems and right. stuff. But Well, and it's kind of funny because, you know, people complain about those on welfare and taking, quote unquote, taking advantage of the system, but, you know, it's not being implemented at the, at the lower levels in the schools and that sort of thing. And so it's like, well they got to get that education from somewhere. And if they're not getting it as children, they're going to teach their children, et cetera, and it's just going to be this vicious circle. It is, absolutely. And I also think, I mean, I'll speak to it because I am someone who's on Medicaid and I have food stamps, you know. I was married with three children. I was a stay-at-home mom. I never got a college education. I did not come from a family that could do that. I went from high school to hitchhiking and train hopping and then I got married and was a stay-at-home mom and then I got divorced with three kids and here I am with no work history no education you know yeah I get child support I get $250 a month in child support for three kids like that is not enough for rent that's not enough for food that's not enough for bills like so I had you know and now I mean that was seven years ago that I got divorced I now own three of my own businesses and I still and make, I think, I made $16,000 in taxable income last year. Like, I work my tail off, and I'm in, you know, and I'm in school, and I'm studying. Try, I'm trying so hard to do something to get myself off of this. But if, I, if we weren't on that, we would be on the street. Oh, yeah. That's... And so anyone who wants to say that, you know, oh, people are gaming the system and everything, 
I think that there are far, 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 far fewer people who are doing that than people like me who are genuinely trying to get ahead and mm. need this help to get there. Well, and it's generally people that have probably never been in that situation oh, and are absolutely. speaking from a, <laughs> an yeah. ivory tower that they don't understand. Well, absolutely. Or they hear one story one time right, and they don't yeah. hear all sure. of the yeah. thousands of stories of people like me, yeah. you know? So, so speaking of your work history you said that I, I remember you saying from a previous your one of your previous shows that you did dance like as an exotic dancer before right and you you clarified before you, when you sat down that it wasn't you know, too often just kind of here and there right yeah um, especially when I was homeless by choice you know when I was hitchhiking and train hopping if I needed to just get some money for a while I could like call, you know that's the I don't know if terrifying. strip clubs still work that way, but yeah. I mean, it's not the healthiest environment, but it's yeah. easy money quick. Was so. it like, did you ever feel like you were in any danger doing that? Or? Not at strip clubs. I mean, no. when I was hitchhiking and train hopping, sure. I ran into some interesting situations. But. Yeah. But uh, so, but you felt completely safe, like it wasn't ever yeah. like a shady situation. I or? mean, I don't, I'm going to say something that might sound really extreme, but like, I think that as a woman, you never feel completely safe. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, it's just a different, it's just a different thing that we're always dealing with. I, I mean, walking from the grocery store to my car at night feels different to me than it does to someone Yeah, else, oh right? yeah. I remember when I was uh, at, in college and I was like on campus late working on a project or studying and and I was, I would be walking to my car, and there was like a young lady in front of me, and I would think to myself, I'm like, I wonder what's going through her mind right now. Like, I know that I'm not going to hurt her, but she doesn't know that. Like, you know, so she's, I'm sure, on guard a lot. And uh, yeah, and as far as taking it for granted, I remember I went to San Francisco for a long weekend, and I was telling a, a lady friend of mine about how, you know, I just had this great day walking through Golden Gate Park as the sun went down. It was beautiful. And, and she's like, yeah, that sounds like it would be really nice, but I could never do anything like that. I'm yeah. like, wow, I never thought about that. I mean, and I've done a lot of things like that because I refuse to live in the fear. But even, it don't do it without that, with the absence of knowing my surroundings and knowing what I'm going to do if someone comes up to me and knowing, you know what I mean? Like, it's something we're always thinking about. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not a physical attack, you know, the verbal shit that we get almost constantly. I mean, now that I'm a little bit older, and it's part of the reason why I don't walk around looking like a burlesque star all the time, because it's fucking exhausting, mm -hmm. you know? And so I'd rather look like this half the time and not have people talk to me and look yeah. at me than, you know... Anyway, I think that it's just... Yeah, I think that there's a whole different mentality anytime you're doing anything. And I think that especially when you are going out as a sex worker, whether it's at a strip club, whether it's doing a burlesque show, whether it's um, doing other types of sex work, you know you're getting into a a vulnerable situation and that people often take... It's kind of one of those, you give them an inch, they want to take a mile kind of a situation. Mm -hmm. Like You're like, hey, this is the parameters under which we are working. And they're always like, oh, but if you'll do that, then you're definitely going to do this. Mm -hmm. Or even right. at a burlesque show, you know, we have all the time go up to the bar to get a drink and someone grabs your ass and they think that just because you were on stage yeah. you know, or they'll you know whenever I hear of anything like that I'm like what guy in the history of the world has that ever worked for like it's like sending dick pics or something like well who's that ever worked for <laughs> like, I, I just can imagine it just speaks I mean I know once again I'm not a man so I can't say what's going through their mm -hmm. head but I, I to a large part to me it just speaks to male privilege and it speaks to this male dominance and it's not so much about actually thinking that this is going to work and that this is going to get me laid but that I can do this what the fuck is she going to do yeah. what is anyone going to do I can do what I want to do and there's no consequences and most of the time there's not guys go up and grab my ass and then you know you might say hey fuck off and then they're like okay like and that's it or they'll be like oh whoa what's your problem right yeah you know and turn it around so and gaslight you. on you right. right like and now you're on the defensive even more from somebody who just touched you without mm -hmm. your consent. And like, so that's, it's, once again, like we take these microcosms, but it's such, there's such bigger issues happening. And it's so rare, you know, I don't know. There's so many rabbit holes we can go down. I just think about things so <laughs> no, many that's, angles. That's, so. I mean, this, these are all things yeah. that I never think about because I'm, right. you know, I'm not a woman. And it's, it's one of the things as a man, because then, and this is one of the rabbit holes I was thinking about, is that then you see someone grab someone else's ass and then, you feel like, oh, well, now I need to step in and be, you know, hey, 
but then you're not giving that woman a chance to defend herself, mm-hmm. and then it, that's also patriarchy, right? So it's like, yeah. it kind of is, you're damned if you're doing, you're damned if you're You know, you're actually, right? I kind of put this in the far back of my mind, just because it was such a shitty experience, but... When I was a senior in high school, I played, there's a club that used to be in Fort Collins called the Starlight, and my band was playing there one school night. And I remember uh, I was on stage, and my girlfriend came up to me and said, my girlfriend at the time came up and said that these guys would walk by and grab her ass. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, my 17-year-old mind just was like, this is like something that happens on TV. This doesn't really happen. Am I in an after-school special? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'm like, what the? I, who? And so she pointed them out to me. It's this group of guys over by the bar. And so I went up and confronted them. And I was like, you know, you don't do that. You know, you should apologize to her. And he, uh, he said, oh, I'm sorry for grabbing your chick's ass, man. Just like real condescending. And then they followed us out into the street and like started a fight with me. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was almost like they were kind of dumbfounded that I called them out on it. Like, well, what makes you think I'm not supposed to get away with this? You know? Yeah. I mean, I've had to say to multiple people I've been dating when they go with me to a burlesque show or someplace I'm DJing or someplace that I'm there as Squeaky Springs mm-hmm. and I'm there in my persona. And, I mean, I definitely get a very different attention than, than I do like this yeah. and I have to have these talks with them the first time you do it of like alright so these are the things that may or may not happen tonight and here's how I expect you to react to this because I do not want you to fight my battles for me I do mm-hmm. not want you to you know if you're going to be weird and possessive and jealous of me also you can't be here because I am selling sex yeah. right? Like, this is my job Like I need to be flirty I need to be this, but I also know my limits. I'm not, you know, and I know what I will and will not accept. And you need to trust that I've been doing this for years without you around, and I'm, I'm bringing you here as my guest, not as my bodyguard. And like, and you said this is your boyfriend. Well, I, you know, whoever, yeah, multiple people I've been how dating do, over the years. How do how do guys usually handle you be, handle you being in that industry? People don't date me unless they understand that this is what I do. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I make it very clear from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I had a um, couple-year relationship with a guy who um, was not happy about it. And I just, quite frankly, you know, I mean, I I never stopped. And it was constantly an issue. And I was like, well, you know, when you're ready to pay my bills, then you get to dictate how I spend my time. But until you are doing that, this is how I've always made my money. And this is how I'm going to continue to make my money. Well, and that was, I don't know if you listened to the episode I did with the young lady that is an exotic dancer. And uh, she's 20. And... She's only been doing, at the time when I interviewed her a few months back, she'd only been doing it for six months or so, and I asked her what her motivation was, and she just simply said she was working for minimum wage at PetSmart, and the opportunity presented itself to make more money doing doing that, and she took it, and you know, I asked, and she said her boyfriend was supportive and secure about it, and I don't know, like in that situation, I think burlesque dancing, I wouldn't have a problem with, but I personally, like, I would struggle with that, like, with exotic dancing that's probably my own insecurity and my problem I'm sure you know so and you get to choose who you date right mm-hmm. like and I think that it's you know I am in the tour I am a serial short term dater recently and I think it's because with this newfound confidence you know I very much know what I do and don't want and that's very hard for a lot of men mm-hmm. I think that a lot of men are and I typically date younger men and I think that typically younger men who date other women their age are very used to people who are malleable mm-hmm. and I'm not right, yeah, <laughs> and so sure. it doesn't last very long because I'm yeah. like okay well this is who I am and yeah. this is what I expect and if right. you can't hang then there's the door yeah absolutely you know? like, that's, that's totally reasonable uh, so like throughout this this you know you working in the sex industry you know in exotic dancing before and now with burlesque what have been your best and worst experiences with that Sorry, I have to think about it for a minute. Yeah. I mean, and truly, honestly, like, it, I mean, off the cuff, my best and worst experiences have nothing to do with men. Off the cuff, my best experiences is discovering my own power in my own body, discovering a, le- a level of beauty that I have that I didn't give myself credit for. Um, Sometimes I do feel like it's a little beating capitalism. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard the No Effects song, Lori Myers, but I love, she says the line, um, I sell my body, not my time, or something to that effect. I can't remember exactly what it is. And I think about that all the time. I'm like, I could be a wage slave for 60 hours a week and still be in the financial situation that I am right now, or I could go out and work 
you know, my hourly wage, I, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's far more than what most people work. The problem is I just don't get enough hours. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather make that per hour and feel like I'm worth this. This is my worth. I'm not worth $15 an hour. I'm worth much more than that. Sure. And, you know, I wish I could get more work, but I can't right now. And so... You know, that's kind of just the thing. But it gives me more time to be at home with my children. I get to be a mom. I get to work out. I get mm -hmm. to cook fresh meals. I get to do these things that if I worked, you know, a minimum wage job, which is what I qualify for anywhere else, I don't have the privilege to do those things. So that's probably my best experiences. And honestly, the worst experiences have to do with the other women. It has to do with the behind the stage. Like you, you were mentioning before about the cattiness. Yeah, and I think that it exists. Any, I mean, in midwifery, it exists. You know, it's a different level. I think that it's just, you know, oftentimes people who don't feel super secure in themselves feel that throwing someone else under the bus mm -hmm. makes them yeah. feel better. Or I've dated a few people like in that. In order to, to feel popular and to get friends and be the alpha, then they need to have a beta and they need to have someone else that I'm going to make everyone hate this person. It's kind of that pack mentality. Right. Yeah. And so everybody else wants to be a shit talker and they want to do the mm -hmm. thing and they all want to hate the person just so that they're liked oh, by the gross. cool person. And I've never been that person and I won't yeah. be that person. And I'm often the hated person because I don't take shit and because I will call someone out on their shit. Because, mm -hmm. And so I think that that's been the most challenging thing is just... Well, you're losing friends. Again. You're among you're among a like company. I feel like I'm a kindred spirit in that way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> good. We're, we're few and far between. Yeah. I feel like my social circle is small, but I I value that so, social circle a great deal. Absolutely. So. so growing up, like, who were some of your childhood role models or significant adults in your life? Wow, that's really intense. I mean, I would have to say, like, honestly, I mean, I looked to anarchist and punk rock. For my examples more than mm -hmm. anything else you know um emma goldman is huge in my world Sorry, i love this song i just heard this song it's on music but anyway um emma goldman was probably my biggest role model um and then i would probably say like polystyrene from x-ray specs um all the members of cross but especially the female members um which of course i'm not going to think of their names right now but i can the whole album, Penis Envy, was basically something that shaped me immensely. Um, and just other people who most people wouldn't know, but, like, older... You know, when I was in my teens, women in their 20s in the anarcho-punk scene that, like, I felt like I wanted to, to be like when I grew up. Um, what about family members? No. <laughs> I think that I tried really hard not to be like okay. a lot of the people in my family, so... So how do they, I mean, I don't know what your, your family life is like, but how, how have they dealt with you, you know, working in the sex industry, whether it be in, in stripping or, or now this? Um, so there's a lot of years my family doesn't know a lot about. And um, so there's just a lot they don't know. And there are just things that I just choose not mm -hmm. to tell them because I don't have to because I'm a grown adult. <laughs> but they all know that I do burlesque. My kids know I do burlesque. Mm -hmm. My kid's stepmom also does burlesque. Like, um, I'm friends with two of my kids on Facebook, so they see a lot of my, you know. Yeah, and I never, I don't see even like as far as exposure to children. Like, I think, I think we place those own our those those taboos on there ourselves. I mean, you know? I make it. I, I have wonderful kids. I always say, if you're going to be a single mom, you might as well have my kids. And my kids are all they're between 11 and 17 now, so they're older kids. Um, but I make it really clear about age-appropriate stuff, too, which means I don't hide them from stuff, but I say these are choices that I make because I'm an adult and because I can deal with the consequences and the good and the bad, and I talk sure. to my kids like they're adults. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I have two boys and a girl, and so, well, right now that's how they identify. I'm not sure one of them will continue to identify. But anyway, um, and so I've, I've always been more nervous about raising my boys than my daughter. I always wanted to make sure that I didn't raise assholes. Sure, yeah, um, absolutely. And men who took advantage of women. And um, my daughter, she's entering puberty. I've made it really clear, you know, like, like she has a little cousin who's actually a year younger than her, who's already shaving her legs and wearing makeup and doing all this stuff. And I've said, like, you will not do that until you're a young woman, until you can have that responsibility. And, and you don't ever have to either. 
you're so beautiful if you don't shave your legs. You're so beautiful mm-hmm. if you don't wear right. makeup. And um, she doesn't I feel like none of my kids have a desire to grow up too fast. That's great. They don't feel like That's they're great. over-sexualized. They're not. They're nerdy kids. Mm-hmm. And they There's, like being What's kids. the rush? Yeah. They, There's I mean, no rush to be an adult. <laughs> when my daughter turned 10, I remember my dad said to her, so how does it feel to be double digits? And she goes, ugh, eight more years and freedom, and then it's going to be all downhill from there. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I, and then that made me feel a little bit bad because I was like, oh, maybe I'm over, like, putting a negative stigma on being an adult, but I'm glad that they're enjoying and appreciating yeah, their childhood. Yeah. But I'm also not going to hide from them the real world or not make them prepared for the real world. Yeah. Or I have no shame in what I do. So, you know, they shouldn't... They just need to understand what's age-appropriate, mm-hmm. you know? I remember when I was around that age, I remember, like, in middle school, I started hearing about people my age that were, like, getting drunk on the weekends and partying and... And, and like that's one thing to do that I don't care whatever but it was more like they were talk, they were talking it up almost like they were overplaying it a little bit like it was like a badge of honor and uh, I, I even then I thought to myself well what's the rush like we're still kids let's be kids let's do fun kid things and I was one of those kids you know I was drinking and smoking pot when I was 12 and I was you know mm-hmm. doing a lot of crazy things and um, I'm really proud of myself for how far I've come in my life mm-hmm. and the education that I've given myself, not just intellectually, but emotionally and socially and all of that kind of stuff. And um, and my children have obviously reaped the benefits of that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm really grateful that... Well, I, I feel like in our culture, we put such a taboo on all those things that when you do that, you make it so much more desirable and you want to do it so much more. Like, you feel like you're doing something dangerous or breaking the rules and... And I feel like by normalizing those sort of things, or even like, you know, like nudity, and that's yeah. it, it makes it less less risque, less dangerous. Right. But I get, that kind of makes it fun at the same time too. Yeah. So. so my, because I totally skirted how my, I guess when you say out of my family, think about it. So like my brother came out and visited in August when we had our um, five year anniversary show, mm-hmm. and he came to the show and he photographed the show. He just said, "I don't want to see you dance." And I said, well, I'm going to do a group number, but I'm not going to, but I don't strip in it. I'm just a side dancer. And he, you know, but I wear lingerie. And he was like, okay, that's fine. And I understand that. You know, you're probably, my brother didn't want to go up and see me (laughs) be sexy. So that's fine. I understand that. Um, My dad is recently remarried and my stepmom, who's 72, is like super pumped to come to a show. Mm -hmm. She like cannot wait to come to one of my burlesque shows. Um, My mom is said she's wanted to go before but I won't let her because my mom is very hot and cold she'll act supportive one minute and then not be supportive another minute and I'm not going to give her ammunition to use against me like we're not friends on Facebook because like for example I'm also a drag king and I've posted pictures of myself as Oliver Holes is my drag king name (laughs) but um, I've posted pictures of myself as Oliver Holes and she's shamed me for that. And so I just blocked her on Facebook because I was just like, you yeah. don't get to. This sure. Is. And that's just, that's our relationship around it is that if they don't approve of something, then I just say, then we're not talking about it. And if you have an issue, then that's your issue. It's not my issue. And if you're concerned with how you raised me, then maybe you should look at how you raised yeah. me. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's, I guess that that's a good segue in, into one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about was um, I was doing research into kind of what, motivates women specifically to to find themselves in the sex industry and and be attracted to that line of work I guess is a better way to put it and one article I came across it's uh, from the Wall Street Journal it's called the link between detached dads and risk-taking girls and I wonder how much of this relates to you and what or even just what your thoughts are on it it says studies show that women who experienced a father who was either absent or abusive are more likely to engage in activities with more of a sexual risk quote-unquote when the father is present and there's a healthy relationship, there's less urgency to develop as, se- as quickly sexually. In other words, a good man is hard to find. So does that relate to you, or how, what are your thoughts on that? I, um, I mean, Eric, do I don't know. I mean, um, I didn't, my dad personally wasn't super present, but he wasn't abusive either. To me, he was abusive to my mom, but they got divorced when I was young. Um, 
And now my dad just moved to Colorado. My I do not live in the same state as most of my family, but my dad just moved to Colorado a okay. few months ago, and we're just now developing a closer relationship than what we've had in my whole life, which is beautiful and wonderful, and I'm super excited about it. Um, you know, and it's funny because I, you know, you would send me in the email to say that you wanted to talk about childhoods and backgrounds, and I was thinking about that so much, and I didn't think specifically about fathers, but I was thinking about... You know, there's often this thing of like, oh, if you're a, a stripper or a sex worker or whatever, you must have been, you know, molested yeah. or abused or whatever. And uh, just always like that, that association bothers me so bad because when you look at the statistic that between one in three and one in four women are molested or abused or raped at some points in their life. Just all women in general? Yeah. yeah so, of course, the they're going to fall are, into yeah, right, exactly. that category. Like, yeah. if you've polled how many lawyers have also been abused or raped or molested. Mm, sure. How many, you know, but then don't pull. Right. So that's what makes that's me curious point. about those studies. Yeah. It's like, okay, so a lot of sex workers might have had absent dads, but also how many female CEOs did? Mm-hmm. How many, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, we don't pull those people. Like, does it give you a more aggressive attitude because you felt like you had to accomplish more because you didn't have Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're raised in a same-sex couple so with two moms instead of a dad... Right. Yeah. That would be my argument more than anything else. That's a good like, argument. That's pretty compelling. Um, um, so know, question studies always. So that's a stigma that you've had, to, or that that you see in the industry. Um, another stereotype is that you know that people resort to it because their careers are bottomed out, or they seek desperate measures, or that they're trying to pay, for, you know, for college, or even the worst one is trying to feed a drug habit. I mean, besides any of those, are there any other stigmas that you've had to overcome? Um, I mean, I think slut-shaming in general. Mm-hmm. I think that, which is once again a bigger problem, what I do with my own sexuality is my own business. And, I mean, I remember listening to a This American Life episode, since we're on a podcast. It's a good podcast. And so I love that one. I listen to every episode. But anyway, and it struck me so hard. A 17-year-old girl said on there, when you're a woman, when it comes to your sexuality, you have two choices. You're a prude or a slut. There's nowhere in between. Oh, shit. That's and either way, it's negative. Yeah. And so there's, it just struck me so hard about, like, men don't have, that's one thing where men do not fight. Absolutely. They do not fight that yeah. dichotomy of, oh, you don't put out or you put out too much. You know, like, I mean, I dated a guy once who had a problem meeting my kid's dad because he didn't want to meet someone else I fucked. And I was like, you realize I have children, right? Like, like, I fucked other people. Like, it's a thing that's happened in my life. Like, it's just, I think that there's this weird male insecurity and male dominance thing about how many people and how many other wieners have been around. They're mm-hmm. women. And yeah. It's very possessive and it's very shitty. And and y'all want to watch Pornhub and all this shit and watch girls get fucked by 20 guys at a time. But, but oh my God, if I know that the girl that I'm fucking fucked, fucked 20 guys, and that's horrible. Right. You know, it's the... Um, virgin whore complex it's you know I want to marry a virgin but I want to cheat on her with all the whores and if she cheats on anyone with me then oh my god that's terrible that's pretty legit well I think that that that, gosh that goes so far back just because like I you know I you know in the 1960s of of how women were expected to hold this role of being confined and everything and the guy just went out and as long as he was paying the bills he got away with doing whatever he wanted and I know that happened. You know, my mother's got stories of my uh, grandmother driving around Fort Collins looking for which house my grandfather was in. I mean, and, you know, and that's that's. I think that we've come a long way from that. I hope, but uh, it's still. I think it's something that is endured. Well, and I listen to a lot of Savage Love podcast also with Dan Savage, and he makes the argument that traditionally marriage was not about love. Marriage was about. It was a business arrangement. Right, yeah. And so I need someone to take care of my children and clean my house and cook for me. And I need someone to pay my bills and help me have children. But it wasn't about love. And so extramarital affairs were extremely common throughout mm-hmm. history. Isn't it frustrating, too, like you hear a lot of people talk about, like, our generation and younger about how the divorce rate is so much higher than it used to be. And it's like, no, grandma just put up with a bunch of tolerable shit that she shouldn't have been tolerating. Right, That's all it was. exactly. I mean... And should and shouldn't, and who knows, you know. And um, I'm a second generation American, well, or maybe third generation. So my grandparents were immigrants from the Middle East, and so 
I mean, their parents had an arranged marriage, you know, like, it's just all so, it's just, I don't know, there's so many values, values are not black and white, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. But I think that when we go back to taking it back to that whole stigma of being slut-shamed, of that either there's people who I won't date you because you do that, which must mean that you must fuck all these people, which even if I did, if I'm telling you I'm going to be monogamous with you, why don't you believe me on sure. that? Um, or the assumption that because I do that, that I must want to just fucking not, I must not have any emotional value, intellectual value, but it's, there's a trophy aspect there. Um, in fact, the friend I was talking to the other night who we were talking about. It's almost more like if you could, you would, so you think I would. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're just putting up a mirror. Yeah, and it's, it's projection, you know, yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, the same friend that I was talking to about all my dating issues who was saying that, like, I think, because he was saying all these people that find me attractive, and I was like, I'm shocked to hear that because I never, ever get hit on or flirted with. You know, except for by people who I'm not attracted to or people by who are just being fucking skeezy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you don't get genuine people coming up to you when you present yourself as Squeaky Springs, right? Like, that's just not something that happens. I've even gone out on a couple dates with people. I hardly do it anymore that I've met at burlesque shows, and I go out as me, not as squeaky, and they're like, oh, come on, you know you want to, like, do shots and take off your top and be crazy, and they're, like, trying to tell me the whole right. time what I'm like, you can't tell me what I want to do, you know, like, I want to get to know you, I want to talk to you, I want to, you know, um, a huge disappointment, you know, if we don't go home together at the end of the night, you know, just those kinds of things, and and there's nothing wrong with people who want to do that, and sometimes I do, mm-hmm. but that's not always what I'm, you know, just depends. Yeah. If yeah. I want to meet someone and I want to sleep with them right away and maybe never see them again, I can do that. And if I want to meet someone and I want to really get to know them and take my time to get to know them and decide I don't want to sleep with them for a while because I'm trying to develop a different relationship, that's okay sure. too. And I can be both those people and neither alone. So one last thing I had for you is um, I had somebody online uh, pose a question for you that I was going to ask. She uh, she said, I'd like to know where she gets her confidence from. Is it a single experience or was she born a badass? <laughs> Thank this you from Amy. From Amy? Yeah. I wonder if I know Amy, but... I, uh, I know Amy. So, okay. yeah, it might be... Maybe it's a mutual thing. I don't know. Well, either way, she thinks I'm a badass, and that's great. <laughs> and so that makes me happy. Um, no. No, I wasn't. I mean, I think I've always been feisty. You know, I think that I've always... Um, you know, when you grow up... I mean, I think most of us grow up in some degree of a fucked up family, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you either take on those personalities or lay down to them or you fight against them. And I've always been a fighter. You let it define you and build character. Right. I've always been a rebel. I've always been someone who's been counterculture. But I think that that doesn't... When I think about my confidence, like I think most of my life I think about being a badass because I fought for other people and I fought for, you know, um, your values a cause and, yeah. and I fought for, you know, that kind of stuff. But now that I feel like I'm fighting for me and that I've learned to really value myself, um, I think, like I said, burlesque has had a lot to do with that. I think that quite honestly, being alone has had a lot to do with that. I think that I really perpetually was with different partners a lot in my teens and 20s and didn't really ever discover who I was until my 30s when I really spent some time actually being single and actually mm-hmm. yeah. learning me. And Most people skip that part, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I developed a sense of spirituality. I'm not religious, but I have a mm-hmm. spiritual practice I that, that I follow that yeah. um, I think helps me just feel okay in the world and feel mm-hmm. that the world is okay. And so... That helps me move through the world with confidence because I trust the universe, you know? You have a belief in something, yeah. Right. Um, And I think that at the end of the day, I believe that that shit happens for a reason and that I'm going to be okay. And even when I face adversity, I don't look at it as a negative thing. I look at it as a positive thing. It's something that's character building and something that I'm supposed... This is supposed to happen. Yeah. You know, one of us in this conflict is going to walk away more enriched and better Mm -hmm. and... How beautiful is that? Yeah. You know, everything to me is beauty. Sure. And um, even my struggles, you know, I'm grateful for everything in my life. 
you know, this cancer stare I just had, you know, it was, I got in a car accident and that's how they found the tumor. Oh my gosh. Like, I wouldn't have known I had a tumor wow. until it was much more that's far gone if someone wouldn't have rear-ended me on I-25. <laughs> Like literally, and the day I got rear-ended on I-25, the girl who hit me, we both got out of the car, and she's crying, and I just held her on the side Aww. of I-25, you know? Yeah, that's great. And I said, that's why they call it an accident, girl, it's okay. Give me your insurance information, but we're gonna be all right, you That's know? amazing. Like, and I just see so many people walking through this world with a victim mentality, and mm -hmm. so upset about everything that's happened to yeah, them. it's easy, it's, especially in the atmosphere we live in now. It's it's just negativity that comes at you from every direction, unfortunately. So if I had to give advice on how to be a badass, number one, I'd say read the book How to Be a Badass or You're a Badass by Jim Sincero. <laughs> that's like my that book changed my life. Um, I would say hang out with people you think are badasses and stop hanging out with people. You, no matter how long you've been friends with them, no matter how close a family they are, if you look at them and you know their behaviors are negative and they're sucking you into their negative shit, stop. Um, we, we obtain that badassery by osmosis also, you know, like what's around us makes us who we are. And, and so, yeah, my circle is small because I don't deal with most people's bullshit. Sure. Yeah, me too. And so, I'd rather have my three friends, and I like being by myself now. Me too. I did it yeah. for a long time. It was very torturous for me to be alone for a long time because I didn't know me. It was like being with a stranger, and I'm glad that I got locked in a room with that stranger for a while and learned who I am. Well, that was great. Well, tell us where we can find more information about you and punk rock burlesque. Um, I'm old, so I still use Facebook. <laughs> so Squeaky Springs on Facebook. It's S Q U. Sorry, S Q U E A K Y, not two E's. Um, you can look up Punk Rock Burlesque there too. Punk Rock Burlesque is also on Instagram. I'm not. <laughs> okay, I did find it there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can come out to our shows. And if you come out to our shows, come talk to me. I'm super fucking friendly. Don't touch my butt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't touch your butt. It's a great butt. Don't touch it. <laughs> right, thanks so much. No problem, thanks.